tonight. Well, we're going to continue our series this morning called Fear Not as we are looking at characters from the Christmas story who faced really scary situations. And we're going to look at how they responded and, and why they responded the way they did. I forgot to announce one thing earlier. There will be a meeting for parents of our middle and high school students um, after the service right down here in this section. And Adon is going to go over a few things about camp and about this summer. Tony may have let the cat out of the bag, and that's a good thing. So uh, we're excited about that. So parents of middle and high school students, uh, we're going to do a quick meeting right down here after the service. The Alive Room is what I meant to say. <laughs> Guys, I am uh, not batting a thousand today. Hopefully the sermon will be better. Uh, so parents of middle and high school students will meet over in the Alive Room, which is not in this building at all. Fear Not is the series. Thank you, thank you, I appreciate it. So Fear Not is the series that we've been in. So last week we looked at Mary, right? Mary, the mother of Jesus, and she faced a difficult situation as this angel appears to her and tells her that she's going to give birth to a little baby and that that baby is going to be the son of God. And Mary says, how is that going to happen? Because I know how babies are made. And that has not happened yet. Um, and the angel said, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and the child that will be conceived in you will be of the Holy Spirit. It will be the Son of God. And this young girl from a town called Nazareth, which was an insignificant place, is given the news that she's going to give birth to the Son of God. Talk about pressure, right? Not only that, she is betrothed, engaged to be married to a guy named Joseph, and she has to break the news to him that she's having a baby, and it's not his. Imagine what she must have faced. But the angel told her in Luke chapter 1, verse 30, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Last week, we looked at the truth that, that Mary had found favor with God, and because of God's favor, God's grace, God's blessing in her life, she didn't have to be afraid. Even though she was facing a difficult situation, she could trust God because she had found favor with God. She had found God's grace, God's blessing. And it's true for each of us who are in here in this room this morning who have put our faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, that we have experienced God's grace, God's favor, God's blessing, and because of that, we don't have to be afraid. Even when we face difficult situations, we can trust that God is with us. And so Mary responds in Luke 1, verse 38, she says, see, I am the Lord's servant. May it happen to me just as you have said. Mary showed incredible faith by trusting God in the midst of this really scary situation, she said, God, I trust you. May it be just as you have said. I am the Lord's servant. And in the same way, we are called to respond in faith, even when we face difficult situations. And so we, we concluded our service last week by, by reflecting on some of the fears, some of the things that are troubling us by reminding ourselves of God's grace in our life and, and, and by just praying a prayer of surrender. God, 
I, I trust you with this situation. May it be just as you have said. This morning we're going to look at the life of Joseph. Joseph is an important character in the Christmas story. I've got a picture of Joseph up here on the screen, and I, I like this picture because it's a picture of Joseph with Jesus as a little boy. You know, Joseph raised Jesus. He wasn't Jesus' biological father in, in the way that we, that we think of biological fathers. He, he was the adopted father of Jesus who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, it says in Scripture. But Joseph raised Jesus, and Joseph was a carpenter. And I love this picture because in this picture, he's teaching Jesus how to, how to do carpentry. Jesus has his little lathe, and he's smoothing out that beam of wood. And, and I can just imagine how Joseph would have raised Jesus and, and taught Jesus what he knew and, and taught Jesus what he knew about God and what he knew about carpentry and what he knew about relationships. Joseph was an important character in the life of Christ in the Christmas story, but did you know there is not a single word of Joseph recorded in Scripture? Not one. We know some things about Joseph, but, but he doesn't talk. <laughs> He's kind of the strong, silent type, it would appear. Uh, we, we know Mary talks to the angel. After the angel leaves, Mary prays this incredible prayer of surrender. We see Mary interacting with, with Jesus as he's an adult. We see Mary interacting with Jesus when he's 12 years old in the temple. But we don't hear one word from Joseph recorded in Scripture. He's there. He's important. And we know some things about him. In fact, let me, let me talk about a few things that we know. He's from Nazareth. Joseph is from a town called Nazareth. We learned that in the passage last week out of Luke chapter 1. Joseph is a shepherd, I'm sorry, a carpenter, and he's from Nazareth. Nazareth is an insignificant place. Joseph is a carpenter, a, a blue-collar, working-class guy. However, he is a descendant of King David. He has in his bloodline royalty. However, it was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before his birth. Anybody into like Ancestry.com, looking up gene genealogy stuff? Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. And, and you can find out that you're related to some famous person, that, you know, that, that you're the great, 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 great grandson of William Wallace or something. But it doesn't mean anything because that was a long time ago. And you're just uh, Joe Schmo, you know? Um, and Joseph, he was, he was related to King David, the, the greatest king of Israel. But at this time, this was hundreds of years after the throne of David. This was hundreds of years after Israel had been taken into captivity. This was now in the time of the Roman occupation and oppression of the people of Israel. And that, that royal lineage didn't mean much for Joseph's life, however, it was important that this little boy that would be born into his family would be the son of David. The passage we'll read today tells us that Joseph was a righteous man. He was a good guy. He was trying his best to do the right thing, even in a difficult situation. But the most important thing I want us to see about Joseph this morning is that he obeyed God. Joseph obeyed God. We don't have any words recorded of Joseph, but we have this recorded that Joseph obeyed God. 
And so the question this morning is if people were making a list that described you, they might tell where you're from, they might tell your occupation, they might tell some person that you were related to in the distant past, they might tell that you're a good guy trying to do your best, but could they say that you obeyed God? And so this morning, we are going to look at what it means to obey God, even in a scary situation. As we consider this series, Fear Not, we're going to look at, even though Joseph was, was filled with fear at what it would mean to marry this young lady who was pregnant with a baby that was not his, that when God called him, he responded in obedience. So let's read the story of Joseph in Matthew chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 18, and here's what it says. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now listen, when Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but he did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is truth. Even the parts that are hard to understand and hard to believe. The fact that a virgin gave birth to a son, the son of God. Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. And so Jesus, we thank you that you were obedient to the father by coming and giving your life as a ransom for us. And Lord, as we reflect on the obedience of Joseph this morning, I pray that you would help us look at areas of our life where we need to trust you and obey, even when it's scary. Lord, because of you, because of your obedience, because of your grace, we can trust you and we can obey. So Lord, challenge us, encourage us, speak to us through your word today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here's the situation. Joseph and Mary are engaged, and now they're in a, a period called betrothal. So at this time in first century Israel, um, marriage looks different than it does today. There was no, uh, there was no, you know, Instagram-worthy engagement, you know, with helicopters and drones and people hiding in the bushes, you know, there was not all the big production. Engagement happened when two families got together and they said, I think my son and your daughter would make a good match. 
And the, the parents of the, of the daughter, the young lady would say, okay, I, I agree. I think they would make a good match. What are you gonna give me? Because <laughs> that was part of the process. The groom's family would give a gift uh, to the bride's family. It was called the bride price. And they would, they would make a deal uh, and there would be an exchange. And, and at that point, these two young people would be officially engaged. And it might be some time, they might be really young when that engagement happened, and it might be some time before they grow up and become old enough to marry. They would have still been young by our standards, but at this time in this culture, uh, they would have gotten married in their early teens, 13, 14 years old, the young lady would have been, the young man was probably a little bit older. And they would enter this period called the betrothal period. And at this betrothal period, there would officially be a ceremony and they would be declared husband and wife. However, they wouldn't start their life together yet. It would be this, this public ceremony, maybe at the synagogue in front of their friends and family, there would be this exchange of the bridal price and, and they would enter this betrothal period and it would last several months up to a year. And the husband, the, the, the whatever, husband, fiance, the groom-to-be, he would go away and he would get things ready. He, he would prepare things so that when he would come to receive his bride, everything would be in place. You know, Joseph was a carpenter, so I think he was probably, he, he went and made some furniture. He was, you know, he was getting a new table and chairs ready so that when Mary came home, that he could say, look what I made for you, Mary. I like to make stuff. I'm not good at it. But when Brooke and I first got married and we had no money, I thought it would be cheaper to make some, like we, we had this giant TV. It was in the day when TVs weighed like 100 pounds, remember that? They're not just these little flat screens on the wall. And, uh, and so I want, we didn't have a TV stand, and so I wanted to build a TV stand. So I went and I bought some plywood and some, some stuff and I put it together in the garage. Um, it was real sturdy, I can tell you that because when I finally got rid of it, I had a hard time tearing it apart. It was not real attractive, uh, but, it, but it held our big giant TV. And I was really proud of that. Looking back on it, uh, I think Brooke was just humoring me when she said, oh, I really love it. <laughs> but Joseph, he was a pro, right? So he, he's making a new table and chairs. He's making a new bed for the bedroom. He's making some nightstands. He's getting things ready for Mary. He's excited. He and Mary, they're going to enter into this new life, and he can't wait to see what that will mean and what that will bring. It's getting close to the time when he's going to go uh, to Mary's house, and he's going to receive her to himself, and now there will be another ceremony. It will be the wedding ceremony, and people will come, and they'll celebrate, and at the end of that day, Mary and Joseph will go home together, and they will become husband and wife, and they will consummate that marriage, and Joseph's getting excited. He can't wait for that day to come. Everything's ready. And all of a sudden, he gets some news. We don't know exactly how it went down. I don't know if Mary gave him the news. The angel appeared to Mary and said, Mary, you're going to give birth to a son. And she says, wait a minute. I haven't ever had sex with a man. How am I going to give birth to a son? The angel says, it's through the... Holy Spirit. By the way, we really believe that at this church. <laughs> Jesus was born of a virgin. If God can create the world out of nothing, he can create a baby without a dad. Just saying. We believe it. 
And it's really important. We'll talk about why that is in just a minute. But Joseph's excited. Mary gets the news. Luke chapter 1 tells us that after Mary got the news, she went on a trip to visit one of her relatives named Elizabeth. Elizabeth was going to have a baby as well. Elizabeth was six months pregnant when Mary got the news. And so Mary went to be with her through the remainder of her pregnancy until her little boy named John would come. I have a map that kind of shows the route that Mary would have taken. So Mary lived way up here in Nazareth, and she would have taken this long route, went down the Jordan River, and then in this hill country of Judea. That's where Elizabeth lived. And for three months, Mary stayed there with Elizabeth. Maybe she didn't tell Joseph before she left, because how are you going to tell the man that you're going to marry that I'm pregnant, and there's not a biological dad, it's the, the Holy Spirit. That's hard to explain. And so she thought, God, I trust you. You're going to have to figure this out with Joseph. I'm going to go see Elizabeth. Well, as she's down there with Elizabeth, she's getting, you know, three months pregnant. She's starting to show, and maybe news gets back to Nazareth. Joseph, what, uh, what exactly happened with Mary? I don't know. What are you talking about? Well, I don't know how to tell you this, but looks like she's got a little baby bump. That can't be. That can't be. Well, <laughs> I think she's coming home soon, so you'll have to ask her when she gets here. Now Joseph is thinking, what is going on? What is going on? Has Mary been unfaithful to me? I just got this table and chairs finished. <laughs> Mary comes back to Nazareth, and it's pretty evident at this point that there's a baby coming. And Joseph went from excited, dreaming about the future, shocked, heartbroken. It's the ultimate betrayal. Not only that, he's humiliated. In this culture, this is a, this is a shame and honor culture. And the fact that this woman that he's supposed to marry would have done him like this would have been humiliating for Joseph. What's he going to do? What are people going to say? His buddies are making fun of him and teasing him. And so scripture tells us that Joseph made a decision that he was going to just put Mary away quietly. That he was just going to just kind of, it would have to be an official divorce because in this culture, once they had entered that betrothal period, they were officially married. You couldn't just break off the engagement and give the ring back. This was a formal thing and, and people would know. But Joseph decided, it says, her husband Joseph being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. Joseph could have made a big public scandal about this, could have pointed his finger and said, it's not my baby. What have you done, Mary? In fact, the Old Testament law tells us that Mary could be executed for this unfaithfulness. Do you remember the story in the New Testament? Some people brought this woman who was caught in adultery and, and put her at Jesus' feet, and they said, Jesus, the law says we can stone her. So what are you going to do, Jesus? It tells us that Jesus starts to write in the dirt. And he says, let you who is without sin cast the first stone. 
the people start dropping the rocks and they walk away. But that's the culture that Mary lives in. I mean, her life was on the line because of this costly obedience. But Joseph, he didn't want to put her through all that. He was a good guy. So he, he, he thinks, you know what, we're just going to take care of this quietly. She can move on with her life. I can move on with my life. We'll pick up the pieces. Just a side note, that's good advice. You don't have to put everybody on blast when they disappoint you. Sometimes you can forgive and you can move forward. You don't have to tell everybody about it. You don't have to put it on social media. You don't have to rant and rave. You can just choose like Joseph to be righteous and just and move on. Anyway, that's just a side note for our culture that loves to point fingers at each other. So Joseph, he decides to divorce her secretly, but something happens. He falls asleep. He's worn out. He's exhausted. You know, when you have those seasons of grief in your life, you're, you're tired, and Joseph falls asleep. And it tells us that while he's sleeping, he has a dream, and the angel and angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in the dream, and he says, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and it continues, she will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22, do we have it on there? Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Joseph falls asleep and he gets the same news that Mary got. Mary was awake when she had her vision of this angel standing before her. Joseph is asleep, and he has a dream, and in the dream, this angel appears to him, but it's no less real than the vision that Mary had. And the angel makes it really clear, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. She has not been unfaithful to you, Joseph. She is pregnant, and the baby that is in her womb was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and that baby, you're going to name him Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. And it continues and says, all this happened to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I want to put this verse up here, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. The book of Isaiah was written over 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Over 700 years before the birth of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah wrote wrote these words, he said, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, see, the virgin will conceive and have a son, and name him Emmanuel. Emmanuel, and Matthew tells us that that word Emmanuel means God with us, because when Jesus was born to Mary in Bethlehem, God made his dwelling among men, God with us. Verse also tells us that, that the baby would be named Jesus, and Jesus literally means Savior of God. And Jesus would save the people from their sins. I, I told you a minute ago it's important that Jesus was born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, and here's why. If Jesus is going to save us from our sins, he can't just be another guy like you or me. He, he can't just be another human being like us. 
He has to be something different. Because in our humanity, we are born with this spiritual hereditary condition called sin. As a human being, we are born selfish, we are born wanting our own way, we are born stubborn and prideful, it's just part of the deal. Even these parents who had these beautiful little kids up here on stage today can tell you that those kids are not little angels all the time. And they didn't have to teach them how to be naughty, they figure it out on their own. It's part of the human condition. And if we're honest, we all see those areas in our life. But Jesus was not like us. He was not born as a human being the same way you and I are. He was born of a virgin conceived by the Holy Spirit. And his nature was not sinful human nature. His nature was deity. It was God in flesh, but God. Perfect, holy, righteous, set apart, eternal, all-powerful. Jesus came in human flesh. He had to be born of a virgin so that he really could save us from our sin. Scripture says that the payment, the penalty for my sin, your sin, all of our sin is death, physically and spiritually. And Jesus died my death and your death on the cross so that we could put our faith in him and his substitutionary death on the cross would save us from our sin. But he couldn't be a sinful man like me and you. He had to be God in human flesh. So the angel tells Joseph, Joseph, it's true what she told you, it's true. The baby that will be born unto her will be the son of God. You'll name him Jesus. He will save the people from their sins. It's what the prophet Isaiah was talking about when he said the virgin will give birth, will be Emmanuel, God with us. God is coming, Joseph. Mary's going to need you, Joseph. And the scripture tells us that Joseph woke up and he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. No words, no explanation, no questions, no prayer. He just woke up and he obeyed. Here's what I want you to see this morning. You never know what God can do with one moment of obedience in your life. You never know what God can do with one moment of obedience in your life. We're, we're called to trust and obey, and it may be scary. We might need to say yes to something good that God is calling us to, even though it's scary. Maybe that's that God is asking you to walk across the room or walk across the office to pray with somebody or share your faith with someone. Maybe God is calling you to forgive someone that hurt you, but it's scary to say yes to that. God is prompting you to give financially, to be a blessing. Tony got to share a little bit about the needs in Romania. Next week, a friend Seth Frederick is going to share some of the needs of the ministry in Haiti where she and her husband Lionel serve. Maybe God is calling you to 
to give, and that's scary for you. Maybe God is calling you to change vocations so that you can pursue God's calling for your life. Maybe God is calling you to say yes to something, and it's scary. Or maybe God is calling you to say no to something. Maybe you know you're in a bad relationship that's not honoring God, you're not married, and you know that this relationship is just going to take you further and further from the Lord. Maybe you need to end that. Maybe you've been uh, crossing some ethical lines at work, trying to get ahead, trying to cut corners, and you know it's not right. God is calling you to say no. Maybe you need to choose not to hang out with your buddies after work because it keeps leading to the same place, and it's not a good place. But how do you tell them no? Be embarrassing. You'd have to explain yourself. Be scary. Maybe you need to say no uh, to more time at work or more time spent on your hobby so that you can invest more time in your family. Maybe God is calling you to say no to some things but it's scary. But here's the thing, you never know what God can do with one moment of obedience. I was thinking this really yesterday, uh, just about the moments in life. They say that life is measured in moments, right? Uh, Yesterday, early in the morning, I got the news that my grandmother passed away. That's my mom's mom. She's been sick for several years and uh, living up in a, a nursing home in Gainesville. And my, me and my brother and my sister got to go see her a few weeks ago, and we were talking about memories. But I was thinking about her yesterday and, and just thinking about all the little moments. I remember being a kid, and, and she lived in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. That's a little bit south of Nashville. And we would drive up there for Christmas every year. And we would get there late at night. But she would always be awake, and when our car pulled in the driveway, she would come running out to the driveway and, hey! I remember those moments. Every time, she was always awake, always waiting, always coming out to give us a big hug, greet us. When I was a kid, we used to spend our summers up there. I I would go up there. We wouldn't all go at the same time because that was a lot of us. Uh, So I would go up with my cousin who was about my same age. We would spend a week or 10 days, and she would always find something fun for us to do. We were teenagers, and there was this theme park called the Opryland Park or something, I don't know, up there in in Opryland. Uh, But it had roller coasters and rides, and so we thought it was awesome. But thinking back on it, like that probably wasn't my grandmother's idea of a day of fun, (laughs) schlepping around with us at Opryland. But she did it, and I remember. I remember her biscuits that she made, and they were never good enough for her. She said, oh, they're too gummy. I don't know what that means, but she did. But she made these homemade biscuits, and they were delicious. I remember the moments. My grandfather passed away, her husband, when I was 16 years old, and I remember how much she missed him. She, every time we were together, she talked about him. She'd say, he was so handsome. And then when I was, uh, I don't know, 16 or 17 or 18, something like that, do you remember the show Coach? Anybody remember that? Hayden Christensen or Hayden something. Hayden something. He was the actor. 
And she said, he kind of looks like your papa. He's really handsome. She had a crush on him. I remember that. I remember uh, that before she moved from her big house on the big farm in Tennessee, that Brooke and I took the girls up there when they were still little, and uh, she took them to an arcade and gave them a bunch of quarters to play video games. And I remember we came home, and that day she gave me this old guitar that belonged to my grandfather. And I remember that moment. And she told me not to play any rock and roll songs on it. <laughs> Only play those good church songs. I remember all those moments. Right? Because life is made up of moments. And the same is true when God calls us to obey. There is a moment. And we've either got to say yes or no. And maybe you're at one of those moments in your life. And you're struggling. There's some things you know that you need to say no to. Or there's some things that you know you need to say yes to. And you're struggling and it's scary. But I want you to know this morning, you never know what God can do with one moment of obedience. And it will be hard. Anytime you choose to obey God, you will be questioned by others. That's going to happen. Joseph and Mary, for the rest of their life, there was this stigma that went with them about that little baby boy Jesus. Where did he come from anyway? I mean, did Joseph get her pregnant and he's just not telling the truth? Or was it really there was another dad? People were always whispering. People were always talking. Probably cost them some relationships. But they knew. They knew. And they were obedient. Anytime you choose to obey God, you will be questioned by others. If you choose to say no to some things, some of the people that you used to do those things with, they're going to question you. They're going to say, do you think you're better than me now? So what does that mean? What does that mean now? It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it because you never know what God can do with that moment of obedience. If you choose to say yes to some things, people are going to say, why are you doing that? But God has a better plan. Here's the last thing. You can trust God with your obedience because Jesus obeyed first. You can trust God with your obedience because Jesus obeyed first. God is calling you to obey, to trust and obey. But Jesus went first. This will date me for sure, but some of you will know what I'm talking about. You remember the Mikey Likes It commercials for Life Cereal? Mikey, you try it first. The big brother and Mikey ate it. He went, Mikey likes it, so I guess it's okay. <laughs> Jesus is our older brother, and he didn't make us go first. He went first. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that Jesus became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Why did he obey to the point of death, even the death of the cross? Well, he did it so that he could be our Savior. And so that we put, when we put our faith in him, when we trust and obey, we can trust that he knows what's best and he's already made a way. That what God is calling us to is for our good and for his glory. Jesus obeyed first. Romans chapter 5, verse 19, it says, By one man's disobedience, that's Adam, 
sin came into the world. But by the one man, that is Jesus Christ, obedience came, many would be made righteous. We can obey because Jesus obeyed first and his obedience brought us life and righteousness and hope and peace with God. And so this morning, what do you need to obey God in? Maybe, maybe you have never taken that first step of obedience, which is to say, God, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. I put my faith in you. I put my trust in you for life and salvation. I turn from doing life on my own terms and I turn to you for salvation. Maybe you need to obey God in that first step this morning. Maybe you're a believer, maybe you are saved, a child of God, but there, there's some areas of your life where you need to surrender control and obey God. Maybe it's saying no to some things, maybe it's saying, yes to some better things. This morning you can obey and you can trust because Jesus obeyed first. He already did the work of salvation. Why don't you stand up with me? God, we love you this morning. We thank you this morning. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is our cornerstone we can build our life on him, that we can trust him, that we can follow him, that we can obey him. So Lord, I pray for each and every person in here this morning. God, you're calling all of us to a new step of obedience every day. That's part of following you. But Lord, there may be some people in here this morning who are really facing big question, and it's scary, and they're afraid, and Lord, they're not sure if they can trust you with their obedience this morning. Lord, I thank you that you sent Jesus, who became obedient first, showed us that we could trust you with our very lives. So Lord, help us to obey. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who has never taken that first step of obedience and faith to give their life to you, Lord, I pray that you would call them and draw them to yourself this morning and that they would respond in obedient faith. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna sing a little bit of a song, and as we do, I, I wanna invite you to respond. Maybe you just wanna come pray. Say, God, give me the faith to obey. Give me the faith to obey. Maybe you need to come and ask Jesus to be your savior this morning. I'd be down here in the front and I would love to pray with you this morning. As we sing, I invite you to respond.